Hello, and welcome to the Other Minds Podcast. I'm Joseph Bohegan. Other Minds, founded in 1993 in San Francisco by Charles Amerkanian and Jim Newman, is devoted to championing the most original voices in new and experimental music. On season two of the podcast, we're talking with the featured composers from our 27th Other Minds Festival, which will take place November 14th to 19th, 2023, at the Taub Atrium Theater in Gray Area in San Francisco. Today, I'm joined by Artur Avanesov. Born in 1980 in Moscow and educated at the Yerevan State Conservatory in the capital of Armenia, Artur is among the leading Armenian composers of his generation. He is also an accomplished pianist and musicologist, having published multiple research papers and held seminars on Armenian music internationally. He has a wide variety of musical influences in addition to those of his home country, and I'm very excited to talk to him today, having followed his work since we first met over a decade ago in Armenia. Welcome to the podcast, Artur. Thank you. Something that I've noticed listening to your music is that your influences are quite international. So in addition to Armenian music, the pieces you'll be performing at the festival reference Albanian and Ethiopian popular music, and you've done research on Zen Buddhism in 20th century music. So do you see those disparate influences as being an important part of your work? Well, honestly, I wouldn't call them influences per se, because those are rather part of the language. So whatever gets absorbed into the musical language that I'm using while writing my music, I don't consider it to be an influence. It's rather something more inherent, something more something that became part of me, part of my musical language. And yes, there are multiple such sources, so to say, that I'm using. Those are rather like sources in uh, in a research paper. You know, so when you have like quotes or references, whatever. So I'm I'm using those sources as references, as material for the inspiration. And yes, definitely there are numerous such sources, starting from uh, the Western European music of the Baroque and Renaissance period, Gregorian chant sometimes, Armenian traditional music, and world music, music of different cultures worldwide. And are these musics of different cultures things that you're just listening to for your own enjoyment that happen to seep into your composition, or you're searching out these different things that will generally work themselves into your music? I never search anything on purpose. It's just something that, uh, well, that I'm like occasionally or randomly interested in. I re-listen to certain compositions or songs or pieces or whatever it is, and uh, much later, sometimes uh, as late as like ten, twenty years later, some pieces that have been favorites of mine will have a chance of becoming parts of my own compositions. So it takes time to absorb all those sources. I'd like to dig a little bit into your background. When did you move to Armenia? Well, as a child, I was like nine-ish, ten-ish. I mean, this was sort of the end of the Soviet period, early independence period. What was it like there at that time? Well, turmoil. Yeah. (laughs) It was quite a turmoil. And uh, for me as a child, it was traumatic enough. Plus, uh, I didn't speak any Armenian. So I had to adjust, and you know, at that time it was quite difficult. Armenia is my home, basically, my home country now. So that's that's it. 
How did that affect your musical development? Were you familiar with Armenian music at all before you had moved there? Not at all. No, not, not with the music, not with the language, or nothing. It was like total terra incognita for me. Although that was my ancestral homeland, but I didn't know anything about it. Well, I would say that being bilingual from almost the very beginning influenced me profoundly. So that quality of having multiple references might have come from, uh, you know, background of being first bilingual, then trilingual, then whatever it is, and then well, basically it might have influenced that. Was there at all an expectation of you as an Armenian composer to have influences of traditional Armenian music during either your education in composition or even going past that? Uh, yes, in a way. However, that's a very good question, actually, because I remember being absolutely in love with Baroque music at the time when I was like 14, 15, or whatever. And I really, really wanted to compose music close in style, you know, to the music of the 17th century or 16th century, or whatever it is. And I was always, you know, told by, you know, my teachers or someone else, like, you know, an Armenian composer must have, you know, certain references to Armenian music. However, I realized that much later that the references they wanted me to have were not references to the traditional Armenian music per se, but the vision of traditional Armenian music as expressed in the works of the Soviet Armenian composers that surprisingly have very little to do with Armenian music as such. <laughs> yeah, it's something that I wonder about being an Armenian composer in the diaspora. We don't necessarily have that expectation because we're not getting an Armenian education necessarily. So something that we seek out by ourselves and don't have that connection to the Soviet Armenian composers, it's mostly like the church music that we have in the diaspora. So it's interesting to hear that difference. Yeah, well, I was expected to write, you know, using uh, the same rhythmical models, the same structures, the same, you know, harmonic, you know, sequences as they were manifested in the music of the Soviet Armenian composers. For some reason, I didn't feel comfortable with that music. I'm still finding some common ground with the Soviet Armenian music. I can't say I'm done. Yeah. But yeah, I thought it was something foreign. I thought, oh my God, I'm probably a bad Armenian. As it turned out, well, you know. I think we've all thought that sometime in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know. As it turned out, once I discovered actual traditional Armenian music, I understood that I feel very close to it. And, well, you know, whatever was manifested as rather regional traits in the works of Soviet Armenian composers, I found some, some more, you know, so to say, pure version of that uh, musical language in the works of other composers. Yeah. Could you talk more about that? I'm wondering what elements of Armenian music specifically do you find useful in your own composition? First of all, it's uh, folklore. And it's very interesting because, you know, when we study folklore in the conservatory, conservatory people has such a course for composers, and this is mandatory. So when we study and we look at the you know notations of the folk songs made by let's say komitas or some you know well, well basically komitas, this is what uh, what uh, well our education basically is still based quite a lot on what komitas did in the beginning of the 20th century. And then when you listen to the actual recordings of actual folkloric songs, sometimes you get lost and you think, oh my god, but this song's quite different from how it looks like on the paper. And then you start realizing that the folklore is a very broad understanding. And it's 
just like everything else, prone to influences from, well, you know, from the neighbors or from, I don't know, it's like each village is having its own folklore, like almost like that, each region at least. And that's very diverse and interesting. The other thing that interested me a lot was the music of Armenian church. And these two is very diverse. And although, well, at least at its very inception, yeah, somewhere around 5th century, 7th century, whatever, well, it seemingly had strict rules, so to say. With the progress of time, those rules became looser and looser and looser. And, well, you know, at certain point, uh, it reached incredible complexity that could not have been, you know, included in a framework of theoretical views of the time. So it's broader than that. It's larger than that. And it's very interesting. It's very fascinating. Let's talk about the music that you'll be performing at the festival. You'll be giving the premiere of your piece, Tizita, which is for solo piano. Could you tell us about that piece? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, so to say, one of the most favorite children's of mine, so to say. Tizita is an Amharic word that doesn't really have an English equivalent. The closest word you can come up with is longing. So, longing. And this is not only the whole genre of Ethiopian, well, you know, popular music, uh, not necessarily traditional, because the genre of Tizita appeared only in the 20th century and is closer to, you know, soul music than anything else. And it's also the name of a mode, uh, a specific uh, pentatonic mode, in which, uh, uh, well, you know, most Tizita songs are composed. So basically, I'm using that pentatonic mode, and well, it's present throughout the whole piece, and I'm using uh, certain patterns of the songs that I listened to, and are great performers, especially from 1970s, 1980s, amazing, amazing performers of this type of music. And I constructed this piece as some sort of a spiral, where the music is constantly modulating into each of the tones of this pentatonic scale, returning back to the beginning, but not like a recapitulation, but rather, you know, like in computer games, when you reach another level and then another level and then another level. So it's total transformation rather than recapitulation. So that's the idea of the piece. And, well, initially, while I was composing it, in my mind, I had this idea, so am I composing it for the piano or for a, some sort of a, like, saxophone band and, uh, and drums and maybe some occasional piano in the background? I ended up writing a piano piece, but I still have, like, second thoughts about this piece. It might be something more than piano. So in some places of this piece, well, this thing that lacks is, uh, you know, this continuity of the sound, like ability of making a crescendo while holding a note, whatever. It's something that I was, you know, I was hearing, but I was unable to put on paper as a piano piece. So that's, uh, well, yet another thing about this piece. There is a very interesting story, you know, that's sort of a background story. And I must say, while when I was listening to Tezita songs and when I conceived this idea, I was totally unaware about the story. So once I started digging into the genre while composing the piece, I discovered one interesting, interesting thing. Well, it turns out that, well, you know, uh, 
just a bit, bit of history. And it was totally unfamiliar to me. And I was like, oh my God, what kind of coincidence is that? It turns out that the first Ethiopian emperor, Haile Selassie, a very famous figure, well, in 1920s, uh, visited Jerusalem, where he met a number of Armenian orphans who were survivors of the genocide. And, well, he, like, adopted them, basically, and took them to Addis Ababa, to his palace, where his, you know, prime, so to say, royal imperial musician serving at the court at the time happened to be Armenian as well. And he happened to be the author of the first Ethiopian national anthem, basically. And those orphan boys uh, who ended up in Addis Ababa, they became the first state orchestra of Ethiopia. And many of them went on teaching music, just like Rikord Naubandian, their teacher, you know, did. And it turns out that a number of Tizeta performers studied directly with those Armenian musicians who were hosted at the court of Haile Selassie. It's kind of a crazy story. I never thought, I was never looking for an Armenian, you know, traces there, but I just ended up discovering them. It was fantastic. Let's listen to an excerpt of Tizita, performed by the composer. You'll also be performing your piano quintet, Quasi Harana Maris. Could you tell us about that piece as well? Oh, yeah. So, uh, translated uh, from Latin, the title says, Like the Sand of the Sea. And this is a quote from the Book of Job, from the Old Testament of the Bible. So, basically, it's a part of the text that says about suffering. And for some reason, well, while I was writing this piece, I was like preoccupied with this idea, like how do you express suffering <laughs> through music, and why would anyone do that to begin with? So basically, again, just like I said about Tizita, that well, when I was writing for the piano, and I was hearing like an ensemble of saxophones there, 
I was writing for a piano quintet and I was hearing a choir in the background. So basically, this piece is like like some sort of set of variations upon a very long theme, so to say. And that theme itself, played by the strings, is like a choral iteration of uh, this, you know, this Latin text from the Book of Job that says, if my suffering could have been weighed down, it would have come up heavier than the sand of the sea. So basically, that's the whole expression. And also, I imagine the strings... And this is microtonal music, so I imagine this is sort of like a microtonal choir. So I imagine the strings, so to say, singing, yeah, quote unquote, so singing. And well, these phrases, while the piano is, you know, contributing merely rather than serving as a protagonist of them. So the strings are the protagonists, and the piano is some sort of, you know, the piano picks up where the strings leave and just basically builds its own narrative. So that was the idea of the piece. Basically, imagine uh, this you know, big chorus uh, embodied through four-string instruments. Could you talk more about how you approach microtonalism? When I read microtonal chorale in your notes, I imagine there was some sort of microtonal voice leading happening, like as in a pop chorale. Well, exactly, exactly. Pretty much that. Well, I must tell one thing. This is something that I noticed quite a lot. I mean, I was teaching composition. I noticed quite a lot. I mean, when the students try writing microtonal music, they quite often don't, don't, don't hear that. You know, they just imagine that, well, this might sound good, or this might sound whatever. Or they're using some sort of, you know, theoretical, you know, construct, so to say, to build their composition. So basically, I never write anything that I cannot imagine how it's going to sound. So if I don't imagine it, then I'm not going to write it. Okay? I'm not taking any risks in that sense. Okay, so basically what we call microtonal, it's microtonal from the standpoint of the Western tradition, of course. I mean, Armenian traditional music in that regard was kind of microtonal, although we don't call it that way. Yeah, it's this model and well, the different modes have different degrees of the scale that are lowered or sharpened or whatever it is. So basically this microtonal thinking is sort of inherent in, well, within the musical tradition itself. So I'm just zooming in on that, basically marrying that tradition with, or just as you said, Bach's chorale writing or certain other, you know, phonetic details borrowed from the other periods of, uh, of European music. Oh yeah, and you mentioned Albanian music. This is actually, that's something funny. That's Well, that's not even uh, traditional music in this uh, context. It's like pop music, pop, pop music, actually, and a very vulgar one that well, I just accidentally heard somewhere uh, while I was writing this piece, and it had like very interesting rhythm there that kind of got stuck like an earworm, yeah, like got stuck in my mind. I just really wanted to put it there as some sort of, you know, symbol of vulgarity or banality or, you know, whatever. So that's uh, that's not about Albanian traditional music. It's just about that specific performer who performed that pop song, you know, and it's there. It's also there. It's kind of like crumbled down and just basically put somewhere in the rhythmical structure of the fast oppressed of variation. So it's there, but uh, well, if you don't know the story, well, there's no way you could have guessed that it comes from there. Let's listen now to an excerpt of Quasi Harena Maris, performed by Moses Pogosian, Jiun Huang, Morgan O'Shaughnessy, Niall Ferguson, 
and the composer at the piano. You can hear Artur Avanesov's Quasi Harena Maris and the world premiere of his piece Tizita at Other Minds Festival 27 on November 16, 2023 at the Taub Atrium Theater in San Francisco. Thank you, Artur, for talking with me today. Thank you. Thank you very much. This has been an episode of the Other Minds podcast brought to you by Other Minds. Our 27th festival is November 14th to 19th, 2023 at the Taub Atrium Theater and Gray Area in San Francisco. Join us again next week.